0: The God of Hellfire, and I bring you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and as you may have guessed, things are going to get a little weird tonight or today, depending on when you're listening to this. This is a very interesting album. It is called The Crazy World of Arthur Brown by The Crazy World of Arthur Brown. (laughs) The band and the album all wrapped into one uh, delicious little nugget. It's um, a really interesting thing because this band, uh, I have no idea who's even in it on this album. There is a speculation of who actually ended up on the album and who didn't because apparently they did not keep very good notes they had several people come and uh do recordings for different tracks and then they picked the best ones but had no idea who they were the only thing that was confirmed by carl palmer the drummer for emerson lake and palmer and asia was that he was the drummer on the song fire the uh the the um, one of the most commonly known songs on the album uh, he was positive that that was his track. I would think I would know by the playing. Like, I know what what I play like. I know what my performance is. There's probably a drum feel or two I would remember that I did. So it seems like people would know, um, at least from the drummer's standpoint, what they did. Uh, if there was any guitar solo or anything like that, it seems like that would be pretty easy to identify. But from what he says, nobody knows really, for the most part, who ended up on the album, with the exception of Arthur Brown, because he did the vocals. Um But before we get into the music, let's talk about this cover a little bit. Now, this is an album that my parents had in their record cabinet. So I remember it from a very, very early age, and it freaked me the hell out. It really did. Um, It is a blurry close-up of a very painted face with toys on it. On the right eye, there seems to be some sort of round disc with uh that, that sort of simulates the the sun rising it's like a pink half sphere with rays coming out of it against a like highlighter greenish yellow background um, that actually looks like it was painted over the top of the rays of the sun instead of uh the other way around that extends out over part of his head on his left eye there seems to be some sort of blue disc with a pink Star on it that has the uh, album titled "The Crazy World of Arthur Brown," and then the the makeup on his face is like that same pinkish red from the sun, and that same like highlighter yellow green, and then some blue in there uh, around his nose. That the way that they painted it, it actually kind of makes it look like it just fades into nothing, like it was airbrushed over the top, and maybe it was. I see what looks like maybe some watermarks. Um, right there, uh, towards the top of his nose where the paint maybe bled a little bit. I don't, the whole thing is just really weird. And then of course, um, he's got very, very pinkish lips that are open in a really weird sort of, O face. Um, I don't know. The whole thing always just as, as a child, just freaked me out whenever I saw it. I liked the music, but it, the music is kind of creepy and we'll get into that. But even as a child, I was like, this is weird. Um, But it always creeped me out. And then even weirder is on the back of the album, you see a picture of basically like the, the neck and the start of the shoulders and the head of Arthur Brown himself. But it's very weirdly imaged. Um, It's, it's, I don't think this is quite the neck Well, maybe it's the negative, Um, but it's been doctored. It's basically like black and grayish silver, and um, like one of his eyes is really weird. They're very open. Um, one of them's got like a bit of uh, light on it. So it looks really distorted. The shadows are, are a little weird the way they come down around his nose on one side where they shouldn't. Um, a little too low around his. I don't know. The whole thing is just so weird. And what it reminded me of um, when I was a kid, I remember seeing uh pictures of the shroud of turin but they were the negatives right the the probably more commonly known pictures were the negatives and it reminded me very much of that image of the the face on the shroud of turin uh, only these eyes are open there's no coins on them and it's you know uh not exactly a negative like i said it's, it's sort of painted over with silver tones and uh, the whole thing is just really damn weird but it's um it's it's great. You know, it's uh it it really I think as an album cover sums up the insanity of the album, gives it that creepy factor and and fact that things are not right wherever this is going on. It seems like there's a little bit of flames going on around him too, so maybe this is, you know, when he's in hell in the story. Um I don't really know, but I will say it was very very well done. Um even looking at it now. Uh, not too long ago, I was actually able to find a very good copy of the vinyl issued by Atlantic Records, and uh, in really good shape. Like the album is nice and clean, and um, the cover is in uh, excellent shape—not uh, perfect, but excellent. There's a, just a slight ring where the record wear is, and uh, just a little bit of um, indentation on the, the one corner. But apart from that, it's in beautiful condition. I, I can't complain at all. And I think I paid like $12 for it. So a good deal on that. One thing I did not know was that the associate producer on this album was Pete Townsend from The Who. Arthur Brown did do some gigs with The Who, so that's not too surprising. It was produced by Kit Lambert, who was the manager for The Who on his own label um, originally. And then this was uh, issued by Atlantic. So um, lots of interesting things, but I can't really get into who did what, unfortunately, because I have no idea. Uh, just no idea whatsoever. It does seem too on the front cover that there's another object like right between his nose and his lips, because there's like a little gap above his upper lip uh, below this object where there's a shadow and it looks like it's a three dimensional thing that was laid on his face, but it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of room for it. So I don't know. It's really weird. Check it out. Um, (laughs) It's worth a look, but I think it sums up the album well. So let's, get into the music, it starts off with the song Prelude Nightmare. So this came out in 1968 and definitely those strings in the beginning have a very, very vintage feel to them. I love the sound of them. The notes, they're just right off the the bat. It just grips you. You just feel uh, overcome like you're at a funeral. You know, it's it's very, very sad. And then, of course, uh, the music kicks in, which is nice. I'm going to play another part for you that I really dig that's always kind of stuck with me. Yes, yeah, such a powerful part. I mean, he's really in this song. He's setting the story for for what's going on. And I'll leave it to you guys to figure out what the full storyline is. Um, I have my thoughts, but it's it's been a long time since I have really sat down with this album in its entirety and listened to it. So I, I very well could be wrong in um, my feelings on the story. And also, you know, it, it was something that I heard at such a young age. I may have the completely wrong impression. I'm not a big lyric guy, so I won't dig into that uh, too much. But I will say this is very powerful. Um, you know, it's it's something that you definitely feel like an isolation when when you say, why is it so cold down here? You feel like you're just so alone and um helpless, you know, but it's so powerful. And then, uh, I, I don't know for sure that that was Vincent Price's voice. I suspect it was, I didn't see any documentation that shows he was on this album. It could have been sampled from a film, um, that I don't know, but it certainly sounds like Vincent Price. If it's not him, it's a close second, but musically, uh, this is pretty incredible. Uh, I love the brass. I love the woodwinds. I think that, It really feels almost like something Zappa wrote because the notes are just they're random. They're here and there. They're all over the place, but they have a purpose. But at the same point, they really seem like they just said, just just warm up and I'll record it, but warm up in this key and I'll record it and we'll just throw it in there over top of everything else. It almost feels that way. Like who writes like that? Really interesting stuff, though. Um, But it's a very powerful intro. Um, I love the the start of it. I mean, those strings are just absolutely incredible. I've always felt that there was great power in that introduction, really sets the tone for the album on the whole, and then just takes off and says, hey, yes, this has got some emotion, it's got drama, but it's still a rock and roller, and we're going to be in your face on this album. So great start, absolutely great start. And that brings us to our second song, Fanfare. Fire poem. grass turned to sand, and the river turned to a sea. And suddenly the sea burst into flames, and the sand was burned. You know, it's interesting. Um, this came out in 68, but it has a real Jesus Christ Superstar feel to it, doesn't it? That, that groove, the gentle snare, the orchestral instruments, the organ coming in. Um, I love the intro, that, that really strong brass and how it's broken up into sections and really allowed to let that note reverb out uh before the next set of notes come in it's so powerful a little loud but very powerful uh and then this is such a great groove very jazzy which uh Jesus Super Christ uh, Jesus Christ superstar the original broadcast recording was very jazzy it, it really had uh, a lot of this feel to it so did the the soundtrack version that they you know had revamped the music a little bit but you know, this groove is very similar to some of the stuff on there. Um, it definitely has that feel. So I don't know if maybe this was somewhat of an influence or if it was just, you know, this is the style of so much music at the time because there were a lot of jazzy type bands thinking of like Arthur Brown, King Crimson, uh, Emerson at Palmer was not far away. So, yeah, I, I don't know. But I do find that to be a very interesting comparison. Um, I love the further development of the vocals on this. I think Arthur has such a great voice. He he has a really low uh, general tone. But, man, can he hit some very powerful notes and really show some guttural emotion. Uh, really great stuff. I actually had the privilege of seeing him perform... Um, it was one of the last concerts. It might've been, no, it was the last concert, I think, or the second to the last concert before the pandemic. I saw over at the hard rock, it was the, uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer legacy band and Arthur Brown came out and sang with them. And I had heard rumors that he was going to be at some of the shows that, that he wasn't doing all of them. So I wasn't sure if I was going to get to see him or not. I saw him without seeing him because he had so much costume on. I barely saw his face at all. He was very, very decked out, um, which is, was, is not uncommon for him. It's part of his character. Like like Alice Cooper, you know, he has his stage presence, but uh, he sounded fantastic. Uh, he was great singing on the ELP songs. I know he came out and I want to say he sang with maybe it was a song with Asia. I don't remember now, but I, I'm pretty sure he came back out. But it was the Emerson Lake and Palmer Legacy Band. It was John Lodge and the Moody Blues, um, Asia. And um, uh, yes, and I want to say there was another band in there that I'm not thinking of at the moment, but it was an absolutely amazing, amazing night. But seeing, getting to see Arthur Brown perform was a real treat, I have to say. I hear he's on tour again now or getting ready to start one. So if you get a chance, go and see him live. I've got the link to his website in the show notes. Go check him out. It looks like he started up again around 2002, put a band together and just started doing uh doing some more music, which is great because he's a very talented artist. So uh I'm I'm very excited to see that. The next song is one that is probably the most well known on the album. Uh one of two, I would say. And this is one that, like I said earlier, Carl Palmer does claim that this is his drumming. I would say it's very likely. I would say actually on this last one, uh Fanfare Fire poem, I would say that there's a very good chance that was Carl Palmer too, because that really feels like his jazzy feel. Uh, but you know, so many of the drummers in in this time were doing that kind of stuff. It really could be anybody. Uh interesting. I, I will never know, unfortunately. But in any case, what we have now is Carl Palmer, and here is fire. I am the God of hell fire, and I bring you Thinking in terms of things I should do with my life, taking that opening sound clip and making that my morning alarm tone is one of them. (laughs) That'd get me out of bed. Uh, Yeah, great song. I mean, mean, what can you say about it? It's got a great groove to it. It's very powerful. Definitely a rock and roller. And uh, drumming's great. I mean, you wouldn't expect anything less from Carl. I love the keyboards, especially in that oh no part. Um, really nicely layered. I don't know who the keyboard player is, but uh, very, very well done. It's a great song. Um, One that's been used in, you know, a couple of movies and things. Uh, It pops up every now and then, but definitely a classic. Um, I don't really need to get into it too much because you probably know that song already. So I'm going to move forward to Come and Buy. God, brother, you lie. Your mind's eye, read the meaning of the flames before you let them die. Let them burn you through until you know that you can fly. I love that little burst of timpani right there. You know, it's not so much that it intrudes on the song, it complements it very well, but it's very pronounced at the same time. And uh, definitely, definitely in your face. Um, I love the orchestra on this. You know, there's just little gentle tugs of instruments here and there throughout this album that really make it powerful. They didn't write orchestral lines to go along with everything, which is great. It's just here and there to taste. And it's very, very well done. Um, I want to jump ahead in the song a little bit because there's a whole nother section the song takes off to. And I want to touch base on that. Such a departure from where we started out with that just gentle boom ba boom ba bass line. Um, this song really, really takes you on a journey. It's a little bit longer too. It's uh, f- almost six minutes, about five forty-two, according to the uh, the time on the file. But it's uh, it's cool. And it has another throwback to that. Why is it so cold down here part that we heard earlier? So, you know, kind of pushing the the concept album a little bit, whether he's remembering that or, or kind of reliving that again or complaining to somebody else, I don't know. But it's uh, it's just so powerful. And he. He definitely emphasizes it more. You feel more emotion in it. He doubles his voice on it. So it's really powerful, um, but really cool stuff. Like this song just takes off in such an unexpected direction. Again, great drumming. I love the fills. It's very, very common of drumming from the late 60s. You know, the sound of the drums is is kind of muted, really. They're, they're not very much in the foreground. The ride cymbal definitely cuts through. Um, if there's one thing I, as an audio engineer, would love to fix, it would be the the uh, ride symbol being right in my ear. Uh, I have I mean, you can you can have a bell stand out like that and, and still blend it a little bit more. Um, but again, you know, this is a 1968 album, so uh, mixing was done a lot different than they really weren't prepared for rock and roll mixing the way that we know it today or or because it really wasn't until you know, the the early 70s when bands like Deep Purple put out in rock or Uriah Heat came, he came out with Very Heavy, Very Humble. And, um, you know, albums like that, Black Sabbath, where engineers are like, oh, wow, we've got something new. We have to figure out how to make it sound good. So, um, yeah, I, I do think that this suffers from a bit of that um, pre-rock and roll mix. But overall, it sounds pretty decent. You know, you can still hear a lot that's going on. Um, I think the drums being a little bit louder would be nice, I think, to to push the album a little bit faster. But uh, apart from that, I think overall, the sound's pretty good. I, I like the fact that it sounds it sounds like a black and white horror movie. That's what I'm getting out of it. I don't know that I've ever thought of that before, but that's what I'm getting out of it. So uh, yeah, coming by. Great song. Another one that um, I would listen to quite often when I would brave the record cabinet and look at the cover and go, no, no, I really want to listen to this because it's really good. And, um, and would listen to it anyway, while being fascinated by looking at the creepy cover. So, um, our next song on here is time confusion. (laughs) Ah. This is one I definitely have to say suffers from poor mixing technique. Um, The organ is just a little bit too loud and the vocals are just a little bit too quiet for that gentle singing that he's doing. I don't think that they were using compressors when the voice came on back then, uh, that would be a simple solution to just kind of suppress the music a little bit and have the vocal shine through a little bit more when it comes in and then have the music come up when it doesn't kind of like, uh, you know, using it as a side chain compressor. Um, I don't know when they started using that, but this song definitely suffers from that because you really can't understand too much of what he's saying because the organ is just burying the vocals. Uh, which is a shame because I can tell he's giving quite a good performance and it's obviously a a time where he's somber or emotional. And I think that's just not coming out because it's just, you can't hear it. Um, I like the performances that I can hear on the organ, but it's just mix wise, it's just too loud, um, which is a shame. Now there, as the song goes on, and this is another one that's a little bit long, this is um, five minutes and 13 seconds. And um, I think the longest song, yeah, that's the the last two are the longest two on the album by quite a margin. Um, But, you know, the thing is, is that there's a really nice throwback to fire uh, later on in the song. It doesn't really get too crazy jazzy or anything like that, but it does have a, 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 it gets a little bit more of a, um, of a beat to it, you know, of a, not upbeat, but you feel a little more power in it when it gets to that part. Um, Definitely not as powerful as fire, but a subdued version of it, which is, you know, it's, it's neat. You kind of get to hear if this was, if fire was done almost as a ballad, that would be probably more like what you hear later on in the song. So it's a nice contrast. It's a nice throwback. It ties everything together when you're doing something that's a concept. um, You tend to have themes, you tend to throw back to those themes. Uh, Anybody that's done any kind of film scoring would know that you have character themes, you have location themes, you have situational themes, and um, it's, it's kind of nice to just move one thing into another thing, but still throw back and connect everything together uh, from a musical standpoint. I think that makes for uh, a lot of times a good soundtrack, depending on how the story is flowing. So um, pretty cool there. Our next song is one that uh, has been covered many times by many people, and it is called I Put a Spell on You. This song is interesting because it, you know, it's, it's a dark song. It's on a dark album, but yet this feels almost happy. I mean, the, the organ to this is really in contrast to the message and the music and the theme of the album. It's very happy, very lively. It really throws me off balance for, for this album. And maybe that's the point, you know, maybe there's some joy that he's getting by putting a spell on this person. Um, and that's what's being reflected in the organ. But I don't know, it just it's it's somewhat unsettling, because it's just too happy. But you know, now that I think about it, and to make another Jesus Christ superstar reference, maybe this is like Herod's song, you know, we're in the middle of this, it's kind of sarcastic, it's kind of, you know, happy, there's the dances and the stuff in the movie, there's, you know, this lighthearted, jokey thing until he gets mad. And maybe that's what this is. Maybe, again, another potential influence for Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, Wouldn't that be something if uh, if Jesus Christ Superstar was inspired by the crazy world of Arthur Brown? I would love if that's the truth. If anybody has any information on that, please, for the love of all creatures, great and small, let me know, because I would I would absolutely love that to be true. Um, But in any case, uh, it certainly has that that feel, you know, the the organ is just, I don't know, it just doesn't sit right with me. The performance. Now, now, aside from that, the performance is phenomenal. I mean, whoever's playing on this song is doing an incredible job, just beautiful performance. Absolutely love it. I feel it's very spontaneous, though. I, I don't I I don't feel like it was all written out or all planned ahead. I feel like it's just here's the basic song, just solo over the whole damn thing from here to here and then here to here. Um, I really feel like it was just in the moment. And I could be wrong. This could have been rehearsed down to the note. I don't know. But it feels to me very alive and very spontaneous. So I'm just going to go with that because of how what I get out of it when I listen to it. Um, Cool song. It's a great version of it. There are some really good versions of uh, of it out there. I think it was in the the movie Hocus Pocus, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Lots of people have covered this song. It's a great song, um, but definitely a very unique version on this album. And I just find it funny that the song that people usually perform as a very dark song is on a very dark album and seems almost happy to me. I don't know. Maybe that's one of the great ironies of life. Our next song has one of my all-time favorite song titles ever. And it is called the is called Spontaneous Apple Creation. I had remembered this as the great spontaneous Apple Creation, but apparently, and I, I double-checked the the LP and it is just called Spontaneous Apple Creation. So I don't know why I thought that was the title. I spent enough time looking at the back cover of this album, I should know but I didn't, I was wrong. Hey, you know what? It happens. Let's listen to the song. When the world was traveling faster and faster till colors became just a blur and the buildings were falling plaster from plaster till things just weren't what they were. What could save mankind from man when the blinds That must have been one hell of a strawberry or some very tiny people. I'll let you decide. Uh, Yeah. Another cool song. Lots of exposition as he's narrating the story. Um, I feel like sometimes he's narrating and other times he's the character in the story telling the part from the character's perspective. So it's kind of interesting. Um, But yeah, cool song. Again, very jazzy, uh, very much like the time. This is pretty much, you know, what you're hearing here is pretty much the whole song. There's little bits in between some of the uh, vocals where uh, you get some really weird sounds. In fact, the end of it is, um, I don't know if you guys ever heard this, but there was a, a story where in Siberia, they were digging and they dug into an open chamber miles down into the earth. And I don't know how, like, what kind of drill do you have that can, that's miles long? That was my first question. Um, skeptic. But anyway, they so they drilled and they hit this pocket and they wanted to know what was going on. And they were supposedly searching for like information on the tectonic plates. And so they dropped these microphones down into this hole and supposedly recorded the sounds of hell. And if you Google sounds of hell, you can find it really easily. And the end of this and those little bursts of audio throughout the song kind of remind me a little bit of that less screaming, but just more of that muffled, strange sound. You can't really tell what's going on in the background. Um, whoever put that together, um, I have to say they did a really good job as an audio engineer, um, and, and somebody who's done some work in sound design. I have to say, they, they really did a great job putting that together. I don't know how they created these sounds for this album. I'm sure it was just, around the studio. They did a bunch of stuff and they held their, their hands in front of the mic to muffle it. And, um, but very well done. It's, it's a cool song. It moves the story along, but, um, musically there's not really a whole lot happening here. It's just like a good jazzy background and, um, some really nice drumming to, uh, to, to go forward with the the music so that they can lay the foundation for the, uh, you know, for the story to be told a uh, pretty cool song. And, uh, as my, I, I don't, I I think I like the title a lot more than I like the actual song because that's such a killer title spontaneous apple creation. Um, But that leads us to the next song called Rest Cure. Yeah, this is definitely a sixties feeling song. Um, that's again, a pretty happy baseline for, um, for this album. It's really taking me away from the darkness of whatever is going on. And maybe this is the part where, you know, the story is turning and he's getting optimistic or he's remembering good times. I have no idea, but, uh, you know, just listening to it from a musical standpoint, it's very weird. I like the baseline, but it's just a weird one for this album. Um, Again, what we're hearing here is pretty much the whole song. It just goes back and forth between those couple of parts. Um, it does the the secondary part does get a little heavier later on, but um, goes right back into that bass lick again. Um, you know, it's like the the song Downtown uh, kind of reminds me of that a little bit, which definitely does not fit this. Um, or what was the song on Lost uh, that they play was like Make Your Own Way, something like that. Um, very '60s type song. Um, cool though, you know, and then you got like the little triangle that they play in there and, um, just that one little hit, uh, it's, it's a nice song for sure where it fits in with the storyline and the theme of the album that I have no idea, but, uh, just as a song, like it's a pleasant thing to listen to listening into it, uh, in the context of the album, I've always thought that it was kind of weird, you know, a weird departure from the mood that we've been experiencing up until that point. So, you know, you've got a little bit of stuff that that kind of comes out uh, of it musically. It's not like, um, you know, like a Haunted Holidays album that I've done where the whole thing is just like dark and there's really no reprieve and we're just telling awful stories. You know, there's definitely a lot of mood swings in this album. So let's get to our second to the last song. This one is called Money. No, not a cover of the Beatles song, not even close. This one's got some great drumming on it, um, great bass playing. There's a lot of organ soloing uh, further on down the song. It seems like so much of this album is an organ solo. <laughs> I have to wonder why that might be, but uh, but it's good stuff. I mean, the the playing's great, but a lot, a lot of organ on this album. Um, another really good group. It's got a great feel to it. Um, definitely feeling some passion from Arthur Brown on this one, kind of um, a- another good rock and roller, you know, definitely departing from the, the darkness uh, through, through the album, but um, on its own, a-, a killer song. I would definitely listen to this one over and over. And I have uh, many times. So um I would I would suggest that if you like the little snippet that you heard here, give the whole song a shot because there is a little over two more minutes of it than what we heard here. Uh, Very cool song. So that was Money. And that brings us to our final track on the album, Child of My Kingdom. People watching from high places with their minds Well, the beginning of it had a little bit of a feeling of a throwback to earlier parts of the album, but that's really where the connection ended. I would have expected um, a bit of a a reprise through some of this to some of the earlier themes and parts maybe done in a different way, but there's really none of that in this song. Um, This really kind of just feels like they just ended the album. And I do have to apologize because this is actually the longest song I didn't notice. this. This is seven minutes and two seconds which is, uh, by a country mile, the longest song. And it really just goes on and on. Um, this is one that I, I never really cared for because there's just nothing to it. There's not much of interest here. There's some piano work in it, which seems out of place because we haven't had a whole lot of that. Um, you know, we focus so much on the organ more than anything else. Um, I mean, there's some good drum fills, but there's like parts where it stops and the drums are still playing. And then the piano comes in, like, it's a really disconnected piece of music and it just goes on and on and um, definitely not one of my favorites. But overall, you know, the album is uh, is a really good one. I love the sound of Arthur Brown's voice on this. I love the the overall mix, I think, is pretty good, um, especially considering, you know, the type of music that we're dealing with here. It's very 60s, um, but uh, it's cool. There's a lot of good stuff. And I think the organ playing is phenomenal. There's some great drumming on this album. Um, I really love hearing the, the range of Arthur's voice. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a good album. There's some grooves on it that I really like. Um, yeah, I, I would suggest, you know, taking some time and check out the whole album. If you like it, listen to it twice or three times or four times. If you don't like it, well, that's okay. You gave it a shot, but I definitely think that it it was, um, groundbreaking for the time and certainly set the tone for, Potentially, things to come. Like, I don't know if Alice Cooper was specifically uh, influenced by Arthur Brown, but I certainly see the potential for that. Obviously, I made two references to Jesus Christ Superstar. So there's a little potential there in the weirdest of ways. But yeah, cool album. And uh, I appreciate you guys taking this journey with me if you're still listening some 41 minutes later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been cool revisiting this album for sure. Definitely one that has made an impression on me since I was a, a very young wee lad and uh, wasn't actually allowed to touch the stereo. I uh, had to have uh, a parent put on the record uh, from that that's my earliest memory with it. And I'm kind of surprised they let me listen to it. But in any case, they did. And that might explain a lot about why I am the way I am. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Haskin cast podcast as we continue our journey through music that has had an impact on me. And then the random interview talk to you guys in the next episode. Cheers.